she puts in a shift as that Dr. Gupta. Uh, right. <laughs> Brought up on the news from uh, Latin America. Delighted to say we're joined uh, once more by John Bonfilio in Mexico. Uh, John, a uh, very good evening to you. Good evening, Martin. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, not, not too bad. A, a persistent cough, which I'm ignoring. But beyond Ooh. that, everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do hope you haven't got that persistent. I know you haven't, just being satirical. Uh, now, as a light tickle, indeed. Uh, so, um, Maduro, President Maduro, uh, is um, has taken complete control uh, in Venezuela, or as it says in my newspaper, uh, Maduro set to increase control after sham election. Uh, how much of a sham was the election, John? Well, I mean, look, a couple of years ago, who, who would have thought that we'd be here now with Trump on his way out and... No, Maduro uh, with an entrenched position, and there's been no election in in Venezuela really for a, a significant period of time that you could call uh, free and fair, uh, really by any you know stretch of the imagination. I mean, you don't have to to doctor an an election for it not to be free and fair, and it's certainly not as though you know numbers are being made up there. But for sure, if you look at the statistic with this recent election, that 31 percent, there was 31 percent turnout. And obviously the vast majority of those voted for, for Maduro. So you don't have to wonder what, you know, what the other 69% were, were thinking and not, and, and wanting to, to, or would have voted had they thought that there was any semblance of fairness in the, in the election or that anything would have changed. Um, was there downright fraud in the election? No, I, I don't think anybody's saying that, but they're certainly, you know, shouting from the rafters to say, uh, that, that Maduro's position and, uh, the Maduro regime has no legitimacy in, um, you know, as part of the, the Venezuelan democratic process. Notwithstanding, it really doesn't help that the people who are shouting this in particular at the moment are the, are the Americans who haven't exactly, you know, covered themselves in glory over the course of the last month. So we're definitely in a pot, kettle, uh, black kind of situation. Yeah. And I mean, what's life like presently for the I mean, we've talked a lot about Venezuela and, uh, you know, there was a period where every week we was, you know, there was more horrors and inflation would go you know, hyper hyper inflation would go up even more. You know, for the man on the Caracas omnibus, what what's life like in Venezuela currently? I think I think they're just exhausted. I mean, the, the indices, you know, some indices uh get a little bit better and then some get a little bit worse but when you look at the 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 state of play which is so subterraneanly bad in terms of you know your hyperinflation i mean by the time you get anywhere close to hyperinflation life is is essentially untenable on a you know on a, on a day-to-day basis when you're looking at the re-emergence of diseases which you know that thought that that it had extinguished because of um, health shortages and lack of funding investment and so on, when you've got the country with the, the greatest known oil reserves that has an oil deficit because it hasn't invested in that in that infrastructure um, and it has lost, uh, from a population of 30 million, has lost, uh, we know statistically, over 5 million uh, people have left over the course of the last two or three years. I mean, how does, you know, how does a, a 2% increase or or decrease here or there significantly affects anything. It really doesn't. And I was speaking to somebody just yesterday who was just saying, look, you know, even if I thought there was any meaningful change to me going out to vote, what's the point? I mean, I would have to go out 
um, to get on a on a on a public transport service which doesn't function in a in a in a uh, civic situation in which I'm probably you know more than likely than not to get to get mugged. Um, I don't have the money to travel to the to the voting booth uh, anyway. It would mean a day of work for me to earn the you know the three pence that I would need to get home, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, I just think you know the average man on the Caracas man or woman on the Caracas omnibus is just exhausted. We're now into I mean obviously towards the end of 2020. These, this uh, descent into the abyss in Venezuela now is easily six, seven years into the into the offing. This is not a a day to day uh, emergence of a new situation that's that's taking place there. It's been going on and on and on, and there is no no let up in sight. And what about Juan Guaido? It was he the guy who sort of said that his government was the legitimate government, uh, not Maduro. Yeah. So actually, so with these elections, the the National Assembly, Juan Guaido was the speaker of the National Assembly during the last uh, during the last term, um, and he was the, the sort of the, the the needle, the thorn in the in the side of Maduro, and, and ostensibly he was you know third in line to to the presidency should should things happen, and that's why he. He essentially ascended to that position, you know, self-declared um, ascended to that position. But nothing really, really happened. And and as a number of commentators have said recently, uh, the schisms in the opposition, in the Venezuelan opposition, really, they should be focusing a lot more on on getting support locally with the average man on one on the street rather than continually going to overseas powers to try and, and curry favor, which also just plays into the hands of Maduro because the you know, the left wing line in Venezuela is basically to say that this is all an imperialist plot. So when the opposition goes uh, to seek, you know, to seek uh, support from the imperialists, then it just it just lends lends weight to that particular uh, argument. Juan Guaido essentially is nowhere. I mean, beyond the first couple of months of, his, of the international support that was lended to him by essentially, you know, the West in inverted commas. I mean, that was never going to change. It was never he, he never had legitimacy. Um I mean, Maduro has zero legitimacy. Juan Guaido has perhaps, you know, a shade more legitimacy than Maduro has, but but neither are, uh, are remotely supported by your average your average uh, man or woman on the street as streets of Caracas or Maracaibo. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, so it was a depressing situation there. Now, and, and I know what is equally depressing is that uh, the uh, COVID-19 figures uh, are very high. I noticed Mexico had uh, leapt into the top three or four uh, nations for uh, coronavirus cases. Uh, and some of the vaccine has uh, appeared on the black market, hasn't it, uh, John? This is the worry now, absolutely, is that, um, I mean, Mexico has, is unable to, to tend you know, an average annual flu vaccine to its population. So, so how is it? How is it a state, the state of Mexico or various other countries in Latin America, fundamentally going to going to be able to disseminate um, a, a vaccine to you know hundreds of millions of people, especially when, in large part, two of the three vaccines that have been you know, basically okayed or have gone through trials so far are a um, incredibly expensive and b have to be stored, you know, sub-zero temperatures and that the lack of a fully functioning state here has everybody worried because you know is it going to appear on the black market i mean essentially it has already appeared on the on on the black market how do you validate it is it real is it is it fake has, has the, the temperature that's been stored at been compromised um etc and i think that's why the 
you know, the, this AstraZeneca University of Oxford vaccine is so important to the developing world and to Latin America because it's cheap and can be stored at, at room temperature. So I think that, you know, when we look at the headlines about is it 70 percent effective or 45 percent effective or 90 percent effective in certain contexts, I think that, that might seem uh, anathema to, to a debate in, in the UK or the US or Canada or whatever, where uh, essentially, you know, the other vaccines can be can be purchased. But in the context of the hundreds of millions of people in, in Latin America, you need a cheap, easily distributable um, drug to, to go around everybody. And, and essentially public health figures here are saying that uh, because of the, the state of play and the, you know, the, the, the structural problems and deficits suffered by Latin America that you're essentially looking at. I mean, the Colombian head of public health has said that we're looking at 2022 or 2023 before Colombia is essentially properly properly protected. There are some exceptions to this in, in Latin America. I mean, Uruguay, Cuba, uh, Brazil still, despite Jair Bolsonaro's best efforts, has uh, has an incredible infrastructure for dissemination of, of vaccines. But it's definitely not, you know, standard operating procedure. The vast majority of the continent has a highly fractured, problematic um, health infrastructure, which is not ready to take on um, the dis- dissemination of a vaccine in the scale that that is required with this situation. Yeah, I was just saying when you when you hear stories of uh, vaccine uh, being stolen, you know, by hijackers uh, and then uh, appearing on the uh, black market, it reminds you of the film uh, The Third Man, you know, which Graham Greene wrote, the awesome, yep. awesome Wells, yep. but yeah, same sort of thing, isn't it? Uh, just to uh, change the subject entirely and uh, talk about Latin American sports legends, uh, Lionel Messi, um, clearly, you know, a legend in Europe. Uh, you know, how much of a legend is he in uh, in Latin America? I mean, also really a huge, uh, despite the fact that he's really never, uh, re- really never played in um, in Argentina. He left the country when he was when he was very young, essentially because mm. he was he had some health issues as a as a kid, and the um, and the clubs that he was he was signed for their particular uh, Newell's Old Boys in Argentina couldn't couldn't help him. Um, with the required growth hormone that he had to, um, that he was, uh, that he needed, and he went off to um, um, to Europe to sign for, uh, for for Barcelona. But almost the fact that he plays for Barcelona makes him even more famous and well known than um, than than if he was uh, than if he was playing for for Argentina. I mean, just the stats speak for themselves. He's got six Ballon d'Or uh, awards, four Champions League titles. I mean, the most goals in La Liga in history, 400. And, I think coming up to 450 now, 10 La Liga titles. Uh, I mean, absolutely, you know, revered as a, as a, as a footballer and obviously lots of comparisons to Diego Maradona in terms of his, um, you know, how, how people would go travel huge distances to see him do keepy uppy as a, as a kid and, and, and so on. But in terms of his character, completely different to, to Maradona. I mean, Leo Messi was always very standoffish, very quiet, very, very reserved to the extent that a lot of his teammates early on in Barcelona thought that he was actually thought that he was actually mute and um, and behind the scenes as we've said with a number of these kind of living legends uh, of the of the Latin American sporting world also massively uh, present in terms of philanthropy at UNICEF um, ambassador um, a number of different programs and foundations set up initiated at uh, aiming and helping um, vulnerable children and actually put a lot of money towards a coronavirus fight, both in Catalonia and in Argentina 
uh, as well. And I know that's certainly something which doesn't hit the hit the headlines very much with with Leo Messi much more. The whole sort of tax fraud thing uh, is something that we that we hear about on a or have heard about on a on a regular basis. But yeah, adored, revered um, in Argentina and further afield in, in Latin America. And plays uh, some brilliant football too. He's an absolute joy to watch. Uh, and if anybody ever asks me what uh, Dolly Parton and Lionel Messi have in common, I'll be able to say, well, they both contributed to uh, the uh, fight against uh, coronavirus. So, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Well done. Yeah. Uh, thanks ever so much, John. Uh, we'll talk again next week if that's okay. Take care, Martin. Good man. That's uh, John Bolfidio there joining us from uh, Mexico. Uh,